Welcome to the Elk Talk Podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson. Presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk building, it's like 120 yards away, what do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk being 120 yards away to call anybody <laughs> on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes. But if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target-rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a, a big group. We record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. <laughs> Did we hit the record I button? I forgot to hit the record <laughs> button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't the podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts wow. where they might learn something? <laughs> The Elk Talk Podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. And the podcast is also brought to you by OnX Maps. And with OnX Maps, you can know where you stand with the most accurate hunting GPS tech on the market with land ownership maps that work offline. Go to onxmaps.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 20% when you sign up for an app membership at onxmaps.com. The podcast is also brought to you by Gerber. Uh, go to gerbergear.com and learn about the knives, the vital, the big game vital, the Gator Premium, all the things that we use when we're out in the woods and not just knives, but also some really cool multi-tools that they have. We're also proud to partner with Sitka Gear. And if you go to sitkagear.com, you'll see their full line of clothing. And their tagline is turning clothing into gear. And they are doing that through advanced technology that allows you to stay in the field longer, hunt harder, and stay safer. The Elk Talk podcast is also brought to you by GoHunt.com. Uh, go to GoHunt.com and sign up for the Insider. Um, the, the insider is changing how haunts and hunting information are found. No doubt about that. Use promo code ELKTALK, and when you do, when you sign up for the insider, you're going to get $50 of store credit, mad money, in their gear shop. And we are also brought to you by Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls. And Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls is the original designer and inventor of the pallet plate diaphragm that's completely changed the way elk calls are made and used. And to find out more and to order your elk calls, go to RockyMountainHuntingCalls.com or BuglingBull.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 15% on all of your elk calls and elk call accessories. And with that, Corey... We are ready to get into it. Let's jump into it. Well, Corey, how you doing? I am doing great. I'm. Uh, I am glad to hear that. Yeah. That's not what. It, that's not what I heard. But we'll go with that. Well, yeah. You probably talked to my wife. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly. What I, See, I, to. I do. I do like these honeydew chores before elk season, mm -hmm. and I tell her it's free game. You make a list of anything that you need done that you need help with. I'll get it mm -hmm. done in August before I go elk hunting. And then yeah. I, I can feel good about being gone for a couple of weeks. 
right? Well, well, now it's starting to extend to after elk season. I'm starting to get honeydew lists when I get back from elk hunting. I probably shouldn't resist those, should I? No. Okay. I, but if you're like me, I mean, everyone knows I'm not handy. I don't do the handy <laughs> thing. So my wife doesn't even ask. Like t- today, I, I, I'm sure she's looking at the list she left me before season started. And there's nothing yet crossed off that list. Well, if you want a, an idea of the kind of manual labor tasks that I have waiting for me when I get home, mm-hmm. I came home, my wife had rented a jackhammer and a commercial mm-hmm. rototiller while I was gone. Whew. And she spent all day jackhammering rock and concrete what? in our backyard. Huh? And then she used the rototiller. We have a very steep grade off of the back of the hill that runs down to our house. She used that rototiller to cut a three foot wide uh, faux creek bed in the hillside and then hauled in inch and three quarter uh, river rock and filled it all in with that for landscaping. That's that's the stuff she does while I'm gone. So it gives you an idea of what's left for me when I get home. It's... Huh. Yeah, she sent me yeah. a picture while I was in Oregon of her running a jackhammer in the backyard. And Ooh, that, that would result in uh, me needing an attorney. <laughs> if my wife ever gets on the business end of a jackhammer, I'm calling an attorney because I know what the next step will be. So, no, all my wife does is next to the list that she knows I'm not handy enough to complete, she just stacks all the invoices from the handyman, that she, you know, the contractor, the septic repair guy, the whoever, and says, here, I took care of your list for you. Yeah. See? Us men, we're dumb, but we're not so dumb. <laughs> well, some so, of us. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm good. At, if nothing else, I'm good at faking it. But I'm, is this I'm, what... Is this, is this what we uh, decided to talk about on this podcast? Is What's our, our marriage advice? No, we, yeah, uh, we need to stay away from that. So right, my wife actually right. listened to our live Q&A when we were in uh, Park City this year. Ooh. Yeah, I didn't you realize she was out there. Yeah, I got in trouble. Because hmm. that first, first Q&A we did, there was a lot of marital type questions yeah. on there. And you mm-hmm. threw me under the bus because I was late getting there. And you made me start answering mm-hmm. them because you had just done a podcast on marital advice. Yeah. Yeah, evidently I failed. Yeah. My uh, podcast, I did those two podcasts on my uh, Hunt Talk podcast. Yeah. Those two marriage advice ones are, are by far the most downloaded podcasts I have. <laughs> what does that tell you? Man. That, that tells you either I'm really making it up and just kind of, you know, faking it. Or we've got a lot of hunters out there that are seeking marital advice. I think what it is is you probably yeah. doubled your audience because all of the male elk hunters who listen, or male hunters who listen to Hunt Talk mm-hmm. yeah. probably went and told their wife, you have to listen you to this. listen to this. That and was the so, idea. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Good, good plan. So anyhow, I think we're going to talk about non-residents, non-resident elk hunting, right? Yeah. Just uh, the whole ball of yarn that we can unwind on non-resident elk hunting topics and mm-hmm. issues. Yeah. And I think, you know, our last episode is kind of what opened that up for us as I was talking about Mm -hmm. 
We yeah. hunted in Oregon and, and had an, a kind of nasty note left on our truck as non-residents. And so we mentioned that. And I think as we discussed it, it there are a whole lot of topics we can we can open up to on the topic of non-resident elk hunting. Yeah. I, I always tell people, you know, before you get too wound up about non-residents, understand that everybody's a non-resident in 49 other states. Yeah. So I... I I, there's a part of me that says, look, I, I get that people are upset that there are non-residents there. But you know what? That is part of the landscape. That, yeah. is, that is part of what hunting is. It's part of what hunting has been for decades and decades. And uh, if a state is going to allow, and I don't care if it's 5% or 2% or 10% or like Colorado, you know, just coming by an over-the-counter tag, whether you're a resident or non-resident, if that's what that state decides to do, I'm good with it. And I fully expect there's going to be non-residents that want to take advantage of whatever that state offers. Totally. Yeah, and I think there's so many different aspects of that. I mean, you've got legal, number one, you look back to, was it 2005 when United States Outfitters sued the state of Arizona Arizona over discrimination because they didn't offer as many tags for non-residents as residents. Obviously that got thrown out, but I mean, for that one season, I drew an elk tag as a non-resident that year in the second draw because they had to go back and issue an equal number of tags for non-residents as residents. Uh, So you got, you know, the legal side of, of, that which is managed most states, you know, their legislature, their fishing game, whatever it is, uh, you look at the price differential between a resident and a non-resident, and in most states, it's 10x or more. And so the revenue that comes in, you know, you got the financial component of it. But I think the the piece for me that hit, and I guess I'll share a little yeah, bit of the backstory. Yeah, give the background. So yeah. we're in Oregon. We parked at a gate, a gated road. We were the only ones there. We were there 30 minutes before daylight, and our plan was to hike back into a little basin that was about two miles in there and hunt this little basin for Roosevelt elk. And we hiked in and bugled our way in there, didn't hear a single response, hit the basin we wanted to hunt, didn't hear a single response. So we crossed the basin and hit the ridge on the other side, and we're about three miles in. And another two miles going that same direction, we would have hit another trailhead. And somebody else had parked at that other gate and come in from that side. And I cow called from the ridge and about 30 yards below me, a hunter bugled. So I just went Hmm. quiet, hit the ridge, hiked out of there, thought I don't want to see another hunter in here. I don't want to deal with, you know, us on top of each other all day type of a thing. So we just, right. we kind of relocated. Well, we got clear down to the next little drainage and bugled and that hunter bugled from back behind us. And he was, you know, a good half mile, three quarters of a mile back behind us at that point. But we, we established contact at that point that there were two, two groups of hunters in there. Anyway, we, long story short, we got into some elk. We uh, called in one of the elk, got pinned down by it. As we were moving in on the second elk and the elk was coming up the hill to us, this other hunter who we had seen had been following the bugles, dropped down into the canyon, and he ended up shooting the elk when the elk was 70 yards from Donnie coming towards Donnie. Oh. We got a really cool video of, you know, this elk jumping and an arrow sticking out of its side and it, this guy made a good shot. That totally, I mean, we were disappointed, yes. 
we we were hunting that elk. We were disappointed that we didn't, you know, it, it didn't work out for us. But at the same time, mm-hmm. we were excited because this other guy shot the elk and he didn't do anything wrong. It's not like he shot it out from under us maliciously or anything. It just, that's public land hunting. Yeah. So I said, you know what? There's going to be nobody going back this other way. We're going straight away from the gate we parked at and way away from the other gate. We ended up doing 16 miles that day. And we came out at a completely different gate. Unfortunately, thanks to Onyx, we were able to send a pin to uh, Brinker and and his dad came and picked us up at this other gate and drove us around 20 some miles to our (laughs) truck. (laughs) When we got back to the truck, there's a note on the windshield. Now keep in mind, uh, last year we had some people that recognized our vehicle hunting Mm -hmm. in an area that wasn't ours. And I felt bad about, you know, taking a chance of that. So we rented a truck. Yeah. We rented a truck. Incognito. Incognito. A rental truck, no stickers on it, nothing. And it has Washington license plates and we're hunting in Oregon and we're from Idaho. So we've got a a little triangle going on there of non-resident issue, but we are (laughs) non-residents, but we're anyway. Yeah. The note says locals only go back to Washington. Hmm. We laughed about it. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, it happens. I mean, but as we got thinking about it, I posted it on Instagram. There were like 500 comments, almost all of them were in full support of non-residents. You know, hey, I'm a resident of Oregon. I'm sorry that happened to you. You're welcome here anytime. I posted it more humorously than, hey, I'm kind of offended by this. But I got thinking about it and I thought, what kind of a hunter would walk up to somebody else's truck and leave them a note telling them, go back to your own state and hunt. Yeah. And I thought, what what kind of a short-sighted view? I I guess that was my first thought. Then I got thinking, are there, are there issues? Like, are there reasons, valid reasons somebody would want to not let anybody else hunt in their state? Mm -hmm. And so I've done a lot of thinking on it. And? And I think it's a very short-sighted view. (laughs) Yeah. For, for a lot of reasons. First off, the state of Idaho, 57% of their revenue from hunting and fishing license and tag sales comes from non-residents. Non-residents bear more than half of the burden of revenue, which revenue is what pays for our fishing game to continue operating. Right. If they got rid of all non-resident hunters, we as residents would need to pony up that 57%. Which yeah. I'm pretty sure most residents say, yeah, increase my tags by 220% and my license is by 220% and, and I'll cover that. But there's a lot of people that whine when tags go up by $3 as a resident. So I think there's, mm-hmm. there's some issues there on the financial side. Yeah. Um, from the legal side, I think that a lot of the legal side is, you know, most states are hovering around that 10% threshold, whether it's limited to no more than 10% or they just set aside 10%. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, you look at Colorado and it doesn't have that quota. Um, In Idaho specifically, you know, there's there's a lot going on right now. A lot of Idaho residents are upset because there are so many non-residents hunting Idaho. And that's, it Mm -hmm. seems to be, it's almost like when the wolves were first introduced. Yeah, You know, it, that was kind of the, the justification for why I didn't fill a tag is, well, the wolves killed all the elk. The wolves have the elk change. You know, the wolves, wolves, wolves. Mm-hmm. Well, now the wolves are kind of, you know, they're taking a back seat and non-residents are getting the blame. Yeah. And it's, you know, non-residents. Everywhere I went, there's a non-resident truck parked there this year. Non-residents are out of control. S- 
speaking mm-hmm. specifically to the state of Idaho, there is yeah. a quota on non-resident tags, over-the-counter tags. Yeah. There are no more non-resident hunters here today than there were 10 years ago. Yeah. Because there's a quota and that quota, once it's met, they don't sell any more tags. Right. Same and so, yes, Montana. I think, yeah, I, I think they're, you know, you look at Wyoming, Montana, um, pretty much all the Western states with the exception of Colorado have a quota on their non-resident tags, whether it's right. over the counter or controlled hunt. So it's not like you're seeing an increase in non-resident hunters. I think maybe, you know, in, in some little geographic areas, you know, fishing game might say, hey, unit X in Idaho is the place to be. We're way over objective. When somebody calls in and says, where should I hunt in the state of Idaho? Or fishing game publishes an article and says, you know, these three units are over population objective or high success rates or whatever. It directs a lot more people there. And mm-hmm. I think that maybe we're, we're seeing some of that. But as far as seeing more non-resident hunters, I don't think that's a valid argument. It's... You know, statewide, yeah. it's it's not. We just no. we don't see more. <clears throat> no, it's in in Montana. We issue seventeen thousand non-resident elk licenses. Have forever. So, it's not like we have more non-residents now than we did in the past. Uh, Wyoming statutorily, I think it's seventy two hundred or seventy two hundred and fifty by statute. That's how many they have to issue. So whatever they don't issue as limited entry tags based on, I think it's 16% of the limited entry tags go to non-residents in uh, Wyoming. Once they do that 16%, by law, they have to issue the rest of those as general non-resident elk tags. So anyone who says, at least in those three states, and then let's see, what other states? Arizona's up to 10%, not a guarantee of 10%. Nevada and uh, Utah pretty much set aside a non-resident pool of 10%. Uh, New Mexico, Mexico. it's 6% for the self-guided non-resident. So, I I guess if anybody from California is complaining about non-resident hunting pressure, you don't have an (laughs) argument because California gives one non-resident elk tag in the draw. So we'll throw that one out. But I I do think that you, your observation is, is somewhat on target or or it, it reflects something I see in other states. I hear about it in, in Montana. You know, the non-residents this, the non-residents that. Uh, Well, in states where the non-residents are statutorily capped, it's not all the non-residents' fault. You know, here's what happens. The Game and Fish Department, Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, whatever it is, issues X number of tags. And I'm damn happy that they do. And if you don't like what that statutory number or percentage is, I guess you can go and ask for, you know, the legislature to change it if you think that's a good idea. But don't get upset at the non-resident who's wanting to come and experience what we all love. Yep. And, you know, my wife asks the question all the time, why are you going to Wyoming? Don't we have elk here in Idaho? You know, for me going out (laughs) of state, but there are so many people that come from, you know, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, wherever it is out West 
because that's their only opportunity to hunt elk. And I'm going to, I'm going to save my, my big soapbox for the end here and, and end okay. on that when we get there. But sure. before I get there, you talked about the legislature and in Idaho, the, the fishing game rules are set by state legislature mm-hmm. and, yep. you know, they can be proposed from the fishing game. They can be proposed from a legislator, uh, but they have to go through, through the, the government to get approval. So yeah. Idaho, there's enough non-residents complaining or enough residents complaining about non-residents that there is now a proposal through going through the legislature this next year in Idaho to limit non-residents even more. Now here's, hmm. here's some of the kickers. So Idaho has 12,815 total non-resident elk tags. 12, so almost 13,000, 12,000, almost 13,000. Mm-hmm. There were, in 2018, there were 19,088 total controlled hunt elk tags issued. That's for either sex, any weapon, you know, archery, muzzleloader, rifle, whatever. Yeah. And in 2018, there were 81,142 general over-the-counter tags issued. So right about 100,000 tags total in the state of Idaho. Okay. Non-residents are capped at 12,815 tags. In the draws, the controlled hunts, they're limited to no more than 10%. So there's no guaranteed tag set aside. They just, once they get 10%, they can't draw anymore. Yeah. So I think what, based on that, you know, residents are 88% of the hunters in the field in Idaho, give or take. You know, we'll we'll, we'll say 80% just to make the math easy there. Easy. Yeah. What's being proposed through fishing game is a restriction. So they're going to look at these general units by unit. So right now it's statewide. There's 12,000 tags. Some of the units are capped for non-residents. What they're going to look at doing and what they've proposed doing is limiting non-resident participation within any hunt unit or zone to no more than 10% of the average hunter participation estimated for that zoner unit during the preceding five-year period. Hmm. So if there were, say, a thousand hunters in unit X, and if maybe 300 of them were non-residents, because they aren't limited by zone or unit necessarily in Idaho, they're going to limit that to 100 tags for non-residents, no more than 100 tags, Hmm. Uh, which means... All of these over-the-counter hunts for non-residents now become a draw. Draw, yeah. By zone or by unit. So you have to apply for a specific unit as a non-resident in the state of Idaho. So it just, it's going to get really complicated and really ugly. In addition to that, they know that they're going to be, there's going to be a drop-off in total non-resident hunters in the state of Idaho. Mm-hmm. And so at the same time, they're also proposing an increase and it's not, most of it's about 10%, which isn't huge. You know, a non-resident combination license goes from $238 to $262. Right. Uh, but there, there are some pretty significant proposed changes. An elk tag goes from $415 to $650. How much? Uh, 650 from 415 so a $235 increase, which is over a 50% increase in the price of a non-resident elk tag. Wow. Which, and so when we get to that point, here's the part that, and 
I have been on record of saying the same thing when Wyoming 12 or 14 years ago went to a special priced elk tag and a regular priced elk tag where just by paying an extra four or $500, you get better draw odds. Yeah. When pricing is used, I, I, I was against that in Wyoming. I still wish it was, you know, the price is the price. There should be, I shouldn't get better draw odds because my financial resources at this point in my life allow me to go into the special draw in Wyoming. I'm, it bothers me when the mechanism used to try somehow, you know, weed out I, I'm going to say it that way, and maybe it's not the right thing. The non-resident is, let's make money be what weeds it out. Uh, I just, and I have a problem with that in my gut. It, it is hard, and I think that's the, you know, there's the double-edged sword there of non-residents are accounting for 57% of the revenue in Idaho. They're carrying more than half of the load. They're already paying a lot more. Residents are yeah. complaining that there's too many non-residents, which there aren't any more than there were 10 years ago, but they're complaining about it now. Mm -hmm. So the object is let's reduce the number of non-residents and make them pay more. So if they really want to come here, they're going to have to pay more. Yeah. And I just look at, yeah, and that was one of the, the things that somebody argued on the note we got left in Oregon. They just said, how would you like it if you've been hunting the same area for 20 years and all of a sudden someone shows up with a film crew walking through the middle of your sacred elk area, blowing bugles every 30 seconds. And, you know, you can't afford to go hunting out of state. So you're, you're left with no options. Yeah. And that was their argument of, Hey, some people truly can't afford or choose not to direct their finances to hunting out of state. Yeah. So is the answer make all elk tags the same price for resident and non-resident and find a happy medium? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. No, this I, whole, I guess I'm the, posing the, that question to you, yeah, Randy. Yeah. I, should should residents and non-residents pay the same? Oh, I don't think so. I, I, I think there should be some benefit, some pricing. Yeah, I, I think that this, boy, we're really opening up a can of worms here. <laughs> uh, here here's how I approach it is any opportunity a state gives me as a non-resident, I'm appreciative for. I don't care if it's one tag or unlimited tags because by rule, by law, yes, the game is managed and held in trust by the state. So they technically don't have to give any non-resident opportunity. But historically they have and they always do. And as part of that, they there's this pricing disparity. I don't think that residents and non-residents should pay the same thing. I don't think that in Montana, we should have a disparity of 28X or what, almost 30X. It's crazy. Uh, What's well, a resident elk tag in Montana? I, I should look. I think it's like 14 bucks or something. I'll look it's, really uh, quickly because I just, I'm looking up Wyoming as well. Yeah. I know what a non-resident cost. Yeah, it's expensive. Uh, was it $26? Yeah, $26 from Montana. Oh, is that where we're at now? Yeah. Less than, less than a half tank of gas in my truck. 
and a non-resident is 812, so 31X. Yeah. You go to Wyoming, and a resident elk tag is $57. The special non-resident tag is $1,268, so 22X. Right. Now we're looking Idaho going from $35 for a resident. Uh, it used to be four fifteen for it is currently four fifteen for a non-resident. So that's only a 12, 12x difference. But if they go to six fifty, that becomes a almost nineteen x. So we're hovering, you know, in that twenty x range that non-residents are are paying twenty x more than a resident. Mm-hmm. I I I wish that wasn't the case. Uh, it. And I know some people are going to say, Randy, the world doesn't owe everybody a non-resident elk tag. And I get that. <laughs> no, it that. doesn't. Uh, but I, I do think, and it, with platforms like you and I have, and most of my platforms, I'm reading the why on my whiteboard right here. It says, to promote self-guided public land hunting and create advocates for that cause. Well, here's a very common thing I get when I say, hey, you know, there's this public land issue, this access issue that affects all hunters. I will very often get a reply from the person. I don't care where they're at. You can say, you know, Missouri or New York or Florida or, you know, Minnesota. or It doesn't matter. They will say, you know, Randy, I'm kind of busy today. I'm like, oh. And they say, you guys want to charge me 20x or 30x the price of an elk tag, but I'm supposed to get all wound up and come to your rescue and go arm in arm when it comes time for these public land and conservation issues. <laughs> well, you guys want to give me 5% of the tags or 10% of the tags and charge me 30x what you pay. Sorry, I'm busy today. Yep. No, you you uh, you just stole my thunder there, but oh, did I? That no, it's and it's good oh. because that's exactly my thought when we got that note left on the truck in Oregon. Is do you want to back yourself into a corner, and you and your what I don't know how many fifty thousand elk hunting residents in the state of Oregon? Do you guys want to? Uh, you want to stand up to your entire state when it comes under fire that they want to get rid of elk hunting? Or they want to reduce elk hunting and not let you elk hunt Roosevelt elk because they're endangered. Or, you know, it's, I would much rather have a million elk hunters across the country on my side and share the woods with them, make that sacrifice of sharing the woods with them, mm-hmm. than be able to go out in the woods by myself and not be able to hunt elk. Yeah. And, and that's, that's really what it comes down to is, yes, non-residents are a pain in the rear end. Go, yeah, if you feel that way, that's great. I think that residents are as much of a pain in the rear end because I don't like to see anybody in my hunting area, <laughs> regardless <laughs> of what their license plates say they, they call home. But yeah. at the end of the day, if there's somebody in my hunting area, I hope that they're on my side when we're standing up fighting against somebody that's trying to take away some privileges that we have. Right. Or when we need some sort of momentum for the cause of funding access or funding conservation or helping protect the budgets of the agencies that help us manage our game. It, so I get the initial gut instinct that somebody has. I'm frustrated because somebody found my spot. Well, do you do the same thing when it's a resident who found your quote unquote found your spot? 
Yeah. Just because they're a non-resident doesn't make them an inferior hunter. Yeah. It's it's so hard to watch this go on and and listen to some of it that people chime in on and and have to carry on about in social media or out in the woods or, you know, wherever it is. Uh, And the non-residents are an important component of like you said, funding of advocacy of the volunteerism to nonprofit groups. And yes, I believe that it's right that residents get the majority of the tags. I personally feel it's right that residents get their tags and their opportunity for a much lower cost than, than non-residents. But to blame everything on non-residents is just... That that's putting the truck in reverse to me. <laughs> so what about uh, the guy who can't afford or chooses not to afford to hunt out of state but has to share his animals in his state with people coming in? Yeah. Well, that's uh, I get that, you know. <laughs> he he or she might might not like that idea. But if you don't like that idea, my response is go to your legislature because every state these rules of non-resident pricing or resident pricing, allocation between residents and non-residents, every one of those are are settled by your state legislature. Your game and fish has nothing to do with it. It's your state legislature. So if you don't like that, uh, the, the status quo, whatever it is, go to your legislature and make a compelling case for why it should be different. But don't, also... Don't take it, it out on the non-resident. But at the same time, understand that somebody who is against hunting can go to mm-hmm. that same legislature oh, yeah. and tell them, I don't agree with hunting, let's get rid of it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've got to be really careful about what you, how much power you want to be able to go and ask a legislature to change something because there are a lot more people who don't hunt than do hunt. Mm-hmm. And you go there and say, let's get rid of non-residents while your neighbor goes there and says, let's get rid of hunters completely. And, yeah. you know, here's, here's a fish and game agency that's barely keeping afloat financially anyway, we get rid of them and we don't have to worry about spending $28 million of our budget or whatever it is on that agency. And let's just get rid of hunting altogether. Yeah. So and looking financially in, and, and I'm getting, these are, these are not numbers from Idaho. This is very generalized, but let's say 80% of the tags go to residents, 20% go to non-residents just to make the yep. math easy. It's not accurate, but it's, you know, it's, whatever, 88%, 12% or something. Mm-hmm. If a, a non, and this is just looking at income revenue from elk tag sales. This doesn't look at licenses or fishing or anything else. This mm-hmm. is just elk tag sales. Yep. If there are 100,000 elk tags, 20,000 of them go to a non-resident, 80,000 go to a resident. A non-resident pays $415. A resident pays $35. Non-residents account for 8.3 million in revenue. Residents account for 2.8 million in revenue. Wow. So if we get rid of those 20,000 non-residents, completely get rid of them, no non-residents are welcomed in the state of Idaho anymore. Mm-hmm. We are now responsible as residents to make up that $8.3 million, wow. which spread over 80,000 licensed elk hunters is another $104. So now our, our tag goes from $35 to $140. Wow. 
How yeah. many residents are we going to have up in arms screaming <laughs> about a 400% increase in the price of an elk tag? Yeah. Expect- now, now we've divided our own ranks again. Yeah. And it's just, it's, you know, and then, then if we look at the $650 tag and we say those 20,000 non-residents, now they're bringing in $13 million, which is more than the resident and non-resident elk hunter combined were bringing in before if we have that same number of non-resident elk hunters. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it really, as everybody says, oh, it's all about money. Yes, it's about money. There's an agency that has to function, that has to bring in revenue to be able to provide the services they provide. Yeah. Somewhere we have to, we have to find that balance. Yeah. And then, you know, another thing is a lot of states make non-residents. Idaho is an example, Uh, Nevada, Arizona, uh, Utah, New Mexico, they make non-residents, just like residents, have to buy a license, a hunting license in order to apply for these very low odd permits. And that's fine. But the other part of where that adds the revenue, if affects the revenue equation, is that you have these uh, return of, uh, you can call it Pittman-Robertson, uh, you know, license and excise tax fees or excise taxes from Pittman Robertson's that get reallocated to the states based on licenses sold. So now you get rid of all those non-resident license sales and the portion of Pittman Robertson excise tax money that state is going to receive, that also goes down. So... Yeah, we can argue it on finances and I know some people say, I don't care. Well... You'll start caring when your legislature decides they're going to quadruple the price of your non-resident elk tag or, well, or, you your, think of, re, or your resident elk tag. Yeah, and you think about that. You go from $35 to 140 and now you consider half of the residents are not going to pay the $140 for a tag. So they don't. So now you're, you're, it goes up to $280 to be able to make that up. And pretty soon we have a very small little corner of people supporting elk hunting who are carrying all of the... the financial responsibility of bringing in what's been brought in in the past we have no voice because nobody's elk hunting in idaho anymore and somebody comes and says you know what let's get rid of elk hunting in idaho and now there's nobody to stand up for it because nobody hunts here anyway it's just such a slippery slope that once we start going into dividing the ranks between residents and non-residents it's we we just aren't going to survive yeah. And I get people say, oh, Newberg, you're lucky. You're at the point in your life where you can afford to hunt all these states, whatever. Well, I started applying because, hunt, and I get everybody has a different priority of their budget and their time. I'm fortunate that I have a wife who was on board with me building my little slush fund. I did my first non resident application in 1993. So I've been paying fees and doing this whole non-resident thing for a long time. Over 20 years. What would that be? Over 25 (laughs) years. And I get that not everybody's going to do that. But that doesn't lessen the fact or or weaken the fact that the non-resident component is a very valuable and important component to wildlife conservation in this country. Totally. And if you don't like that, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to tell you. I, I don't think there's it, a better it, it, model. I mean, that's what, it, you know, we would say is go find a better model. I don't know that there 
is a mm-hmm. better model. I don't know that raising prices to the point like Wyoming $1,268 for a special elk permit for a non-resident, yeah, that limits some people. They're like, there's no way I'm paying that much. I'll pay the 783 or whatever it is for the regular. And so you do, you create a, a divide there between those who are willing to pay more to have better odds of drawing a non-resident tag. And the residents, I'm sure, are sitting there going, it doesn't matter. It's the same number of tags. It's not going to change how many people are in the woods, do whatever you need to do financially there. But at the yeah. end of the day, there, there's going to be a point where it starts to come back to bite states who raise the price so much that non-residents finally say, you know what? Idaho doesn't have good enough elk hunting to justify $650 for a license and another $160 or $650 for a tag and another $160 for the, for the license. Those numbers start dropping off. Residents now have to make up that financial difference. I think, uh, I don't know. I just, I, I I laughed at it when we got the note left on the truck. I I really did. It was, it was humorous. It's not going to sway us. It's not like we're going to go back to our state because somebody left a note I feel sorry for somebody who is in a position where they feel like they're going to make a difference by leaving a note on somebody's truck and tell them to leave the state. I think it's, it's pretty <laughs> short-sighted. Um, Very yeah, short-sighted. I just, I'm there for you. You know, you residents of Oregon yeah. who want to leave notes on non-residents' trucks, I'm going to be there standing up for your right to hunt the state of Oregon. I'm going to be there standing up for you side by side when we're talking about public access on public lands and all these other issues that we really need to be a lot more united right. on than, than what we are, regardless of where we actually live and pay state sales tax. Yeah. Well, the good news of all this is I think there is a small vocal blowhard minority who would leave a note on someone's truck yeah. like that or yell at... I've heard people say, yeah, I yelled at him, said, get your blankety-blank butt up back home, you know. And I think to myself, yeah, that's that's a real r- real mature thing to do there. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful that that's the mi- minority of the hunting community, and I look at all the, the great people, you know, the ones who you said responded to you and said, oh, you're welcome in Oregon anytime or... You know, I look at the the stuff you and Donnie do with the hunt of a lifetime, and I look at all these people who do so much volunteerism, so much, you know, think about how much volunteering is done by hunters who doesn't benefit them directly. They don't know who's going to benefit from the access or the conservation work or from the helping uh, impaired hunters or veterans or whatever it might be. And so... I'm glad most hunters aren't the ones who wake up with the motto of, I'm not happy till you're not happy. <laughs> there, there, there are just some people who, no, I, I can't imagine being married to one of them or, or having to work with one of them who, their motto is, I'm not happy until you're not yep. happy. And, and so, thankfully, I think as a general rule, the hunting world has a lot more quality people in it than it does the kind of protective. Yeah, no, like I said, we there. I just looked and there's 510 comments on that Instagram post. And mm-hmm. I, I think I read through all of them and there were maybe three that gave justification for why somebody would leave a note like that. The rest of them were all, you know, what a tool, 
the guy probably, I'm surprised he didn't use crayons when he wrote the note, you know, things like that, that, <laughs> hey, this, we're, we're, we support non-residents. We understand the value of that. And I guess, you know, where the animosity comes from, the, this, just that divide between residents and non-residents. If I'm hunting in an area and somebody comes walking down mm-hmm. from upwind of the elk and they blow the elk out that I'm hunting, I'm not looking at mm-hmm. their license plate. I'm looking at their IQ. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it really comes down to that, that it's, I'm not going to make fun of him because of where he's from. I'm going to make fun of him because yeah. of, you know, his level what of education did. on elk hunting. And yeah, that's, uh, what's going to upset me. Not, not where he lives. Somebody that lives in Florida uh, can be a 10 X elk hunter of somebody who's lived in Colorado their whole life. It's just, I, I think yeah. it's, it's pretty backwards to, I, th- I think we need to do a t-shirt. I'm more concerned about your elk IQ than where your license plate is from. <laughs> I really, that's, that's the only reason I could ever think no. to be upset with another hunter when we're sharing the woods together is if they do something stupid that costs me an opportunity. Mm-hmm. I, I could see somebody, yeah. you know, getting upset about that, not to the point of ever confronting them and threatening them or anything. But here's an example. Mm -hmm. We were in Oregon. We had a bull bugling and we were close to a road. We had spent all day hiking. We came back down. We're a mile from the truck. We called across the canyon and a bull answered across the canyon. So we dropped down to the bottom as the bull's dropping down to the bottom to go to the the creek to water for the evening. Mm -hmm. We catch the bull 120 yards above the road. Public land, public road. We're calling to the bull and we realize that his cow is down feeding on the road. That's where the green grass grows. There's no, you know, everything else is so brushy there that there's no lush grass except for on the edges of the road. So this Roosevelt cow elk is feeding on the grass on the road. A car comes around the corner, a hunter. They see the cow. They jump out with their truck still parked in the middle of the road and they start cow calling. The bull that we're Mm -hmm. calling to answers their cow calls. They don't know where they are. Our car's parked a mile up the road, so they don't even know we're there. So they start coming up the hill after it. There's a second bull bugling farther up the mountain that we realize these guys are going to mess up this first bull. Let's just leave it and go to the second bull. We only have 30 minutes of daylight mm-hmm. at most. So we're yeah. running up the hill. We haven't called at all. They don't even know we're there. We're trying to keep, you know, complete low profile so that they don't know we're there. Because who knows if we bugle mm-hmm. or cow call, they might think we're an elk and they come in and it messes everything up. So we're leaving them to chase that cow in that first bull. We're going after the second bull. We get up, we're within 50 yards of the second bull. I can see his back moving back and forth. He's bugling his head off. We get to the ridge where we need to be to set up. The bull's inside 50 yards. I'm thinking one cow call and he's going to turn around and come down to 35 yards. And I look over and below me, here comes this hunter that's been down on the road Evidently, there's two of them, and he and his buddy decide to split up on the two elk as well. So his buddy's down chasing the close one. The second hunter's coming up behind us up the ridge after the first one. He's 30 yards to our left and below us, and I see him coming, and I cow call. And he looks at me and continues hiking straight up the ridge past us. The bull comes over the edge, Hmm. sees him there, and takes off running up the hill, at which point I bugle. The guy turns around, looks at me again, and takes off running up the ridge after the elk. So I cow call pretty frantically to get the guy's attention, and I raise my hands up in the air like, what in the world are you doing? He waves me off. He waves me (laughs) off and continues up the ridge after the bull. Uh, Even though 
We had been there established, set up on it. He came up from behind us and saw us that he was, that we were between him and the bull. He circled around us to get in front of us, cut us off, got between us and the bull and then continued chasing the bull up the hill. Wow. He was a resident of Oregon. Ooh. We were a non-resident of Oregon. You know, I mean, who's, mm-hmm. who's, yeah. who's, a, who's, yeah. being the... who's, who's the one that's making that experience not pleasant for somebody else in that case. It, it doesn't have to do with where you live that, that I think we have no. the issues with. Yeah. I, I wish, I, I think in society we have a tendency to try group or label or tag or lump people into categories that make it easy for us to express our, our frustrations or blame somebody. Like you were saying earlier, earlier, or maybe it was on the prior podcast, but you know, there's almost this, everyone wanted to blame wolves (laughs) and now it's, let's blame non-residents. I think there is a group of people in our society, not just hunting, but society you know, hunters are a cross-section of society that just, you know, someone's got to be to blame. They're, they're, you know, it can't be me. Some I got to blame someone or something. And Instead of working harder to not, achieve success, let's just find someone to blame for our failure. Right. Yeah. I mean, we've seen them, right, when we were kids in school, when we played sports, when we took our first few jobs, you know, somebody was always, oh, I should have got that position or I should have got that promotion or, you know, whatever. There are just some people that they need somebody to blame. So I, I and maybe a light bulb just went on. Everyone yeah. needs a camera guy. <laughs> because they are just the That's fall guy for everything. Fun. Right. Everyone oh, just yeah. needs well, a camera guy, a non-resident camera guy. Yeah. That supports wolves. A non-resident camera guy that supports wolves and Obama, and we would cure everything. (laughs) Yeah. So are you making fun of our our way that we do things? (laughs) What, the fact that you blame people? Blame the camera guy? Yeah. No, I've adopted it. Oh, okay. All right. So uh, I've told Corey and all of our guest hunters that the very first thing you do is you blame the camera guy. I don't care what it is, blame a camera guy. And if for some reason there's not a camera guy nearby that you you can't blame him, well, blame wolves. That That's the second default item. And if for some reason the camera guy's not around and you're hunting in an area that there is just absolutely no chance that there's a wolf nearby. And this is kind of my uncles always. They're, <laughs> they're funny characters. They always want to blame something <laughs> in humor. So they, their default is they blame everything on Obamacare. So that's that's what I told Corey when, on our last hunt. And I'll tell you and Donnie again this year. Is first, it's the camera guy. Then it's wolves. And the catch-all is Obamacare. According to my family. Yep. So. <laughs> so everybody just needs a camera guy. They don't need to hate non-resident right. elk hunters. They just need a camera guy to blame stuff on. That way, when they yeah, fail to I, fill their tag, they don't have to go look for a truck to write a note on. I mean, who knows how far this guy drove just looking for a non-resident license plate to leave a note <laughs> on instead of getting out and hunting himself. Uh, right. He just thought, I'm going to go drive around. Yeah. and I'm, I know I'm not going to fill my tag this year because all I do is drive the road. So I'm just going to find a non-resident truck and leave a note on it and blame it on them. Yeah. Maybe they'll feel Maybe. bad for me. Yeah, yeah. 
Made him feel better. I bet you that helped him kill an elk the next I day. I bet it did. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, I I I'm a I'm a big supporter of non-residents. Uh I'm a big supporter of hunting. Yeah. You know, that that's what I'm here to support. And if people want to get themselves all worked up about this stuff, I would encourage them to think it through a little more and yeah understand that it just it is what it is it's it's been around it's been this way forever and there's definitely a huge value in what the non-resident allocation is and if you don't like it well then go to your legislature and do something about it yeah i I don't know how how else to say it and uh (laughs) you know uh it that's the way it is and here here's the other argument you always get and sometimes you get this from the non-resident is, well, those elk are on federal land. I should have just as much right. How can you charge me more? Or how can you limit me in percentage of tags or, you know, whatever it might be? Well, the reality is that the game separate from the land is managed by the state because of their trustee requirement. And that's been established in the United States since 1842, that there's no connection to the game and the right to that game and the management and the allocated opportunity. There's no connection between that and the ground that the game stands on. Because if you think about it, if this argument that you should be able to hunt elk because some elk are living on federal land and you're a U.S. citizen... Take that to the next step of, okay, what about all the animals that live on private land? Are you saying that those animals should be the exclusive property then of whoever (laughs) that landowner is? No. So it gets into some of these crazy discussions and and what it, here's the, the, the answer I usually try to get people to, or the, the point of view I try to get them to is really what we, what creates the friction is a limited resource that's in high demand. And really, we're trying to say, how are we going to allocate the pie of this resource? And a lot of people, and this gets into scarcity thinkers and abundance thinkers in the business world, we look at people that way. And a scarcity thinker says, the pie is this big and shrinking, so I got to fight for my piece of the pie. Abundance thinkers, who are usually the most successful business people, are abundance thinkers. They say, you know what? The pie can get bigger. Let's make a bigger pie so that we don't have to fight as much over how much of a small pie I get. Yep. And the, the, the bigger pie means doing more for conservation, being a volunteer, doing what you can in some way, shape, or form with your time, your talent, your treasure. Let's put more elk on the landscape in all states so that there is more opportunity. The greatest way to improve your odds of drawing the tag you covet is to have more elk on that landscape in that unit that you want that tag for. Yep. That, that's the best way. Which <laughs> there's avenues to get there. Yeah. And uh, yep. I, I know some people are going to say, Newberg, you're smoking it, man. You, you're living a pipe dream. Well, maybe I am. 
But I've been in this gig. I've been hunting for 40 years, more than 40 years. I've been volunteering for conservation and being an advocate in wildlife and public lands for 25 years. Uh, What I've seen, what I've learned in that period of time is fighting among us and saying that I'm satisfied with a shrinking pie. I'm, I'm going to accept that as the only alternative. That's a way more difficult path for all of us than saying, let's put more elk on the landscape or more sheep or whatever it might be. In our case, elk. And uh, you look at the amount of hunting opportunity that has occurred because, let's see, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation started in 1984. So 35 years of advocacy from the Elk Foundation. Look at the number of elk in every state, not just the, the you know, states where they've recently been introduced, but even the, West, the core Western states. Look at how elk have increased in the last 35 years because of volunteerism and conservation and advocacy. The pie can get bigger. It, we've proven that. And look at how much more hunting opportunity is out there because of all that work over the last 35 years. And we just, I, we got to stick to that model that works and, and try to do more to put more elk on the mountain and in the hills rather than getting this squabbling, you, you know, fifth grade playground arguments about, oh, those are my elk. <laughs> it's like, really? No, and that, I mean, it. you look at, if Colorado was to limit non-residents just, mm-hmm. just for elk. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking here really quickly in, I think it was 2018, 228,000 tags sold for elk in Colorado. Now, we just got done looking. Idaho, 100,000 total. Montana, I'm guessing, is north of 100,000. Oregon is probably right in there somewhere. Um, Colorado, by far the most elk tags available, 228,000 total. Mm -hmm. Elk, deer, and antelope tags that were sold to non-residents that same year totaled 88,000. Yeah. So I, I would, we'll just make the, I mean, I don't know, 88,000 total. There's probably a lot of deer hunters that don't buy elk tags and elk hunters that don't buy deer tags. Right. Um, pronghorn's kind of its its own little piece yeah, there, but not much. Just, you know, 50,000 elk tags, that gives you another 30,000 deer hunters that don't buy an elk tag. You know, there's a cross in the middle there and then another 10,000 pronghorn or whatever, just to make the math easy. But, if we're looking at 50,000 out of 230,000 total tags sold, it's 20%. Yeah. You limit that to 10% mm-hmm. and you cut that revenue in half. And what was it? I think Colorado went up to what, $660 for a elk license this year? Yeah. yeah. Plus having to buy one other form of license yeah. in order to apply. So a fishing license or small game or something like that. Yeah. That's $20 million in revenue gone if Colorado, being the only state that has an unlimited supply of over-the-counter non-resident elk tags, $20 million, that's a pretty good chunk that residents are going to have to make up in the state of Colorado. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, it's just, we can't can't squabble, we can't run the financial, the books for the state 
what we can do is get along with each other and support each other. And, you know, I'm not saying that we need to open it up and let non-residents have the same price as residents or non-residents have as many tags as residents, but we have a system that's, that's working. Yeah. There aren't, you know, uh, despite and contrary to feedback, there aren't more non-resident hunters in Idaho than there were 10 years ago. There aren't more non-resident hunters in Wyoming than there were 10 years ago. Right. There might be more non-resident hunters who are figuring out where the elk are mm -hmm. than there were 10 years ago. Right. There might be more non-resident hunters in the backcountry than there were 10 years ago. And I've heard people, you know, someone from Oregon who hunts Colorado getting mad because somebody from Wisconsin was in their elk hunting spot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's just now, we're, now we've got non-residents hating on non-residents and it's just, that's not, yeah. like you said, it's not the answer. The answer is, hey, what can we do to improve elk hunting in these states so that we can handle more hunters or so that we aren't fighting over that limited resource as much? And yeah. <clears throat> if you're not a member of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, you should be. You should be. Yeah. Because they are working to provide more opportunities, whether it's through access or helping with populations, restoring elk to areas where there haven't previously been elk in a long time, all of these things that are going to hopefully lessen that demand. Yeah. Well, I, I just, I, I think it's a worthwhile discussion for us to talk about this. And I, I sure hope that as people think about it, they give it some consideration before they start leaving notes on people's rigs or, <laughs> you know, yelling at a non-resident or blaming the non-resident or whatever. It, uh, you and I are lucky that we get to hunt a lot. Uh, we see things in all kinds of different states. Uh, we are, we get exposed to how this state does it, how that state does it, what the trends have been. And quite honestly, a lot of this stuff is just a whole bunch of sniveling. Uh, yep. You know, someone wants somebody to blame. And I, I wish I could say it was different, but that's just, and maybe we're going to get a ton of hate mail uh, on the Elk Talk <laughs> podcast uh, Instagram page. Or the but, website or the where website. they can go to the contact form and send us an email. Yeah, but I just, I strongly believe that the pie can get bigger, that it's pretty much been a static number of non-resident elk hunters in most states. Uh, and you, what's probably got some people upset is a, a relocation or a reallocation of where somebody was hunting. Yep. And they got, they got mad because, you know, someone showed up in my unit or my area. I mean, <laughs> I've had people blame me for ruining place, quote unquote, you ruined it, Newberg, that's my spot. And it's 14 million acres and it's their spot. And it's like, really? Well, by the time you account <laughs> for all the backup spots in case the first spot doesn't get good, I mean, it, you do start covering some geography uh, there. Yeah, I, so, I don't know. I, 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 I try to not discount it. I try to be sensitive and understanding to the frustration that somebody might be expressing, but I'm certainly not uh, going to stand there and support someone who expresses it 
in the way of, oh, it's all this group's fault or that group's fault, or if it wasn't for this or blah, blah, blah. That's just not not going to work for me. Yeah. But, no, and I, I guess so. if somebody does have an idea of, you know, a, a model or a plan that would reduce this concern, email us. Let yeah. us know. Tell us what yeah. your thoughts are. Because yeah. I, I think, you I, know, between Randy and I, we've hunted pretty much every Western state. And Randy's hunted a lot of Midwestern states. And I just, I... It's on my mind, point systems, bonus point systems, non-resident, finances, all of these things I think about regularly. And Mm -hmm. yeah, there there are some tweaks that could be made. Don't get me wrong. There are tweaks that could be made to make things better from a lot of these standpoints. But blaming non-residents, that's just we're, we're opening a can of worms there that's going to lead to the demise of what we enjoy. Yeah. Finding a way to include non-residents, finding a way to, like you said, stand there arm in arm and fight for each other. That's going to provide us with a lot more power and a lot more opportunities in the coming days than trying to find yeah. somebody to blame because of they live across the bridge from you. Yeah. Well, and uh, to Corey's point, if you have a better idea or an improvement idea, I'd love to hear it. My idea is let's make the pie bigger. Let's put more elk on the mountain. Let's just, you know, continue to do the the work that has been done. The Elk Foundation has conserved over seven, it's getting closer now to eight million acres of land to improve habitat for elk. And they're like, 1.2 million of improved public access and there's state groups that are doing amazing conservation work there's groups all over that are doing conservation work and that's the ticket to more opportunity if if you think that the ticket to opportunity is just grabbing your little piece of the pie and fighting to hold on to it to the exclusion of everybody else yeah got some bad news for you that's that that's the road to nowhere so before you go so. to your legislator and ask them to get rid of all non-resident hunting opportunity in your state spend 35 dollars and become a member of the rocky mountain elk foundation and get involved there and see what you can do to make it better instead of limiting yeah. it yeah uh, i would agree did you know the elk foundation just recently completed its 12,000th conservation project <laughs> 12,000 projects in 35 years. That's impressive. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I'm thinking about, wow, that's, and that project is in New Mexico. Uh, it, it's a water and a range improvement project on 21,000 acres of public land. That's pretty cool. That is cool. It was like really cool. And then since we're talking about non-residents, uh, you know, people don't think of Wisconsin as a as an elk state. Well, they have an elk herd. They just started their first season last year or the year before. And they've got the Jackson County Forest back there where the state has said, this is going to be our home range for our elk. And the Elk Foundation bought a property. I'm trying to remember. I think it was in 2016 or 17. I was on the board at the time. And I remember we voted on that one is a 360 acre parcel that really helped improve access. 
And now I see they just, right next to that, they added another 290-acre parcel. And I know some people would say, well, you're never doing anything in my backyard, or why is the Elk Foundation doing this in Wisconsin? The reason is, is because there are elk hunters all across the country. We have elk now spread across the country, and a lot of money is coming from a lot of different places to improve elk habitat and public access. And uh, I'm just thankful the Elk Foundation is, is they're doing it. Absolutely. And they are doing it. Mm-hmm. No denying that. Yeah. You know how we, we've, I've mentioned several times, I'd love to hear somebody's reason why they're not a member of the Elk Foundation. Yeah. If, if, if somebody is not a member of the Elk Foundation, I'd love to hear that. I've gotten one email. Oh, yeah. Ever. We've, huh. we've been doing the podcast for, what, 16 months now, something like that? Yep. One yep. email. And it was from someone who was upset because every time they go to an Elk Foundation uh, event, it's guns, 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 and they're not a gun oh. hunter. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's the reason they aren't a member. Well, the reason that it's guns, guns, guns is guns raise a lot of money. Yep. <laughs> and that's, know. you know that's the hard part is if you're going to those events yes you need to expect that they're trying to raise more money there but you can be mm-hmm. a member for $35 and you don't have to go to those events if that's really your concern put right. your $35 in the kitty help with conservation right. help with access and yeah. you can stay home instead of going to a really fun event where they give away a whole bunch of guns yeah but please go to the event anyhow. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, here's another example this year. And, and this is just to give you a, a scope of, of how wide the Elk Foundation reach is. There is a project in uh, Was- Washington State uh, that they did this late this spring or early summer. Uh, it was 1,400, almost 1,500 acres uh, near this. It's called Merrill Lake. Uh, area again open to everything for public access yeah hunting but all things and then they just worked with the tennessee parks and wildlife or whatever it is huge project down there where tennessee's elk uh herd is uh in montana they just did the falls creek thing twenty six thousand acres of public access it's like we could sit here and spend a whole podcast rattling these off and they're all across the country. And, and it's access for non-residents too? Right. Perfect. Residents and non-residents. <laughs> yeah. So. No. Well, do you think we've covered that well I, Yeah, I think I, I'm ready to step off the soapbox. And it's, you know, okay. I, like I said, it, it was a humorous thing when we got the note. And it didn't offend me. It still hasn't. It doesn't. I mean, it's, I just, I guess more than anything, I'm trying to open the minds of those few people who are so limiting in their thought process and help them wake up to the fact that we need people on our team. We need to stand together. We need the elk hunters from Tennessee coming to Colorado or Idaho or Oregon or wherever they're coming every year, because those people are going to stand by us when somebody comes and says, you know what? I want to shut down archery hunting in Idaho because I think it's unethical. Somebody from Tennessee is going to get up in arms and stand by us and offer their support. We start limiting everybody, and pretty soon it's just us in the corner by ourselves trying to fight a pretty big animal that, that we're not going to be able to yeah. fight alone. So I, uh, I hope that those who are 
strongly opposed to non-residents, uh, at least recognize the benefit of having a non-resident on your team and having a whole bunch of non-residents on your team, not just from a financial standpoint, but from a preservation standpoint that when it's time to preserve and conserve what we love, uh, more is merrier. Yeah, we hate running into people in the woods and it used yeah. to be you go a mile <laughs> off the road and, and solve that. And now it's sometimes yeah. you got to go a lot farther to solve that, but uh, yeah. We can work together. Yeah. it It's just, you know, back to let's do what we can to put more elk on the mountain. Yep. And let's help each other and share information. And, uh, you know, we're all going to get our chance and go do it. But not location information. I just have to throw that. I get so many emails. <laughs> oh, yeah. Corey, I'm hunting your home state of Idaho. Where do you suggest I go? I get oodles of them. Randy and I are not going to give you that information. We will give you all the tools you need to help you make that decision. Yeah. But we're not going to tell you. Just imagine we have, I don't know, what's your social media platform? How many followers? I don't know. A lot. YouTube's 125,000 and yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And we're at 140,000 on Instagram and 50 yeah. some thousand on YouTube. If we were to start telling everybody who asks us where they should go hunting in Idaho or Montana or Colorado, where to go, you're not going to be yeah. very happy with us. And neither are the other 40,000 no. people who show up there to, to hunt that same area. So just to understand that if you're listening and you're thinking, I'm going to yeah. email them, ask them where to go. That's not the right question. Maybe ask us what no. you look for in an area when you're researching where to go or things like yeah. that. But we're just... What resources we use yeah. or whatever it is. We just but, can't yeah. answer that. And hopefully that makes sense that yeah. we just can't do that. Yeah. Did we uh, let people know that there's the 30-day free trial? Well, I don't think we I did. Go. Speaking of resources yeah. we use to find hunting yeah. areas. Yeah, this is the number one resource that I would send people to. And it's just, I've been using it since they started. It's Go Hunt. And if you go to gohunt.com forward slash elk talk, you can get a 30 day free trial of the whole package. All the draw odds, all the strategy articles that Trail and Brady put out, everything. And you can get it for 30 days, no questions asked. And if you say, yeah, that's not for me, well, no, you know, no problem. Nothing lost. But uh, if you like learning more and researching where you should go or where you should apply, there's no better tool that I've found than that. And that's why I use it. And, you so. know, for me this year, and I've, I've talked about it for several years, and I've actually glanced at it, but I dove into the over-the-counter areas in Go Hunt this mm-hmm. year. It's amazing yeah. to just have all of those units, all of the states right there together. And you can look at harvest percentages you can look at everything number of hunters all of these different statistics that you have to go and dig for if you're lucky enough to be able to find it on a state agency website it's all right there not just for draw hunts not just for draw odds but for over-the-counter hunts all the statistics that'll dial in where you want to go hunting in a state they're all right there so yeah you know Corey, you can keep a few secrets you know there, there are some things that we can kind of keep as friends. Why? Yeah. The, this, I, I this want more people the... on my team. I'm not. Right. I'm not. I'm an abundance yeah. thinker, Randy. I'm not <laughs> trying to think limiting. <laughs> no, I, I'm. I was really excited when they put that uh, over the counter 
part out there because it's a very valuable thing. Like you said, a lot of times we end up hunting over the counter units and I, that's, I would say that when people are asking me where to go, it's usually they bought a over-the-counter tag in Colorado or they have a general tag in Wyoming or Montana, something like that, and they're like, which unit? <laughs> well, if I was you, this is where I'd go. It's all right there at your fingertips. Yep. I, I really like the emails that say, I'm not looking for you to give up your honey hole, but can you just <laughs> give me a drainage or a peak to start on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I get it. I mean, if people, if I was far, far away, that might be a, a temptation, but I, I just, I've never been one where I'd ask somebody, Hey, can you give me your spot? And no, not doing that. I'd go hang so. out at a donut shop in a small town somewhere and just overhear the locals talking before I ask oh, somebody, you but yeah. no, Go Hunt is an incredible uh, resource yeah. and it's free for 30 yeah. days. I mean, there should be yeah. tens of thousands of you jumping on that and checking it out because, it, yeah. like Randy said, it's not just a sneak peek at one section. You get full access behind the curtain for 30 days, and yeah, that's a whole lot of value. And they're running it until, what, October 31st? The end of October, yep. Yeah. So go out there, folks. Gohunt.com with the forward slash. Someone told me there's a name for that forward slash, but... It's a line go that leans forward, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Gohunt.com forward slash elk talk. 30-day free trial. Sign up before October 31st and you get it all. Yep. Oh, what else? I don't think this podcast is going to air before October 24th. That's when we're closing the win a hunt with Randy. So man, so and no one, no one probably wants to go hunting yeah. with me anyhow. Well, so I, I get to. I'm looking. You get to. You, I'm looking you can forward tell to them. it. You told me yeah, I was you, ineligible to sign up for the free hunt with Randy, but I'm going are. on a free hunt with Randy and I'm in a, uh, as a, a non-resident. Yeah, as a non-resident, you, you darn non-Idaho <laughs> non-residents coming to Montana, boy, are we going to give you the hard ride? That's right. Yeah. We're gonna leave it. We're gonna leave a sticker on your llama. You llamas, you you non-resident llama guys, get out of here. <laughs> Take your llamas and go home. Uh, hey, just a, a random piece of information. The uh, mm-hmm. the alternate word for the forward slash is Tildy. is a solidus, a virgule, oh. or a whack. So mm. I, I think solidus is probably the official. A whack. That's what my mom used to give me when I wouldn't eat my Cheerios. <laughs> she would whack. give you a forward slash. Yeah. Also known as a whack. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Uh, I'm sure some people <laughs> probably consider Randy and Corey to be whacks. So. Yeah, I, I, I've been accused of worse things. So. <laughs> <laughs> probably rightfully so. Uh, awesome. Well, it won't be long, Corey. We'll be sharing a camp here. I'm looking forward to it. Definitely looking forward to that, and we'll uh, report back on that when uh, we make it out of the blizzard. Cool. Well, thanks for listening, folks, and uh, look forward to uh, whatever comments people have, and we'll uh, put together another one. That's right. Yeah, send us ideas for more uh, topics and guests, and we'll, uh, we've, we've got some downtime coming our way here, so we're ready to tackle some, some good elk hunting topics. Yep. Okay. Well, thanks for listening, folks. Yep. Corey, take care. Catch you on the next one.